بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما لسدر الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد this is our 48th session in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and today inshallah we will be discussing the stories of Prophet Zakaria alayhi salam and Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. Last week we spoke about Prophet Suleiman alayhi salam and we spoke about how Suleiman alayhi salam passed away. The Quran speaks about this in detail where it gives the uh, information to us that the jinn at the time of Suleiman alayhi salam had misinformed the people and instilled within the people's minds that the jinn had the knowledge of the unseen and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this incident happen in such a way that Suleiman alayhi salam passes away in a manner in which the jinn were unaware they continued working until the insects ate away at the stick upon which Suleiman alayhi salam was resting and leaning and then he fell when it broke and he fell to the ground that's when the jinn realized that they did not have the knowledge of the unseen after Suleiman alayhi salam passes away there was a big split in the Banu Israel they dissected into two kingdoms one in the north one in the south and then as you know, when one prophet goes, much more corruption comes within the people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends another prophet. So today we'll be speaking about Prophet Zakaria and then Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. Let's look at some of the verses in the Quran. Prophet Zakaria alayhi salam has been mentioned, I think, approximately seven times in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Maryam, Kaf haya ayn saad, rikru rahmati rabbika abdahu Zakaria. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts Surah Maryam by saying, Kaf haya ayn saad. This is the reminder of your Lord's mercy to his servant Zakaria. Servant Zakaria, what an honor to be called the servant of Allah. When he cried out to his Lord privately, He said, My Lord, surely my bones have become brittle and gray hair has spread across my head and i've never been disappointed when i've made prayer to you i've never been disappointed you've never let me down he said i'm concerned about the uh, the relatives my relatives that i'm going to leave behind me i'm concerned regarding their faith and since my wife is barren, grant me by your grace an heir. H-E-I-R, heir. Okay, not heir. You know what I mean, right? Somebody who's going to take after me. 
not to take after me in terms of my wealth. Who will inherit me? Remember, we spoke about this. Inherit me in what? In prophethood. Me and the family of Yaqub alayhi salam. And oh my Lord, make him pleasing to you. Ya Zakaria, the angels then announced to him, Ya Zakaria, inna nubashiruka bi gulam. O Zakaria, indeed we give you good news, bi gulam of the birth of a son. Ismuhu Yahya, his name will be Yahya. Lam naj'al lahu min qablu samiyya. And before him, we have not given this name to anyone. Qala Rabbi anna yakunu li gulam. He wondered, O my Allah, how am I going to have a child? Wa kanati imra'ati aqira. And my wife is, is barren. And I have reached extremely old age. So will it be. This is what he was told to him. So it will be. Your Lord has said that it is easy upon me. And I had created you prior to this when you were nothing. You were nothing and I created you. Why can't I create a child from another human being? He said, Oh Allah, grant me a sign. Your sign is going to be that you will not be able to speak for three days despite being healthy. So Zakaria came out to his people from the sanctuary. He uh, signaled to them to glorify Allah morning and evening. Then Allah said, Take hold firmly, hold firmly to the scriptures. And we granted him wisdom or prophethood. We granted him wisdom whilst he was still a child. And compassion from our, our end, from us, was zakatan and purity. And he was God-fearing. And he was kind to his parents. And he was neither arrogant nor was he disobedient. And the peace of Allah be upon him the day he was born. The day he will pass away. And the day he will be resurrected. So these were verses, verse number 1 to verse 15 of Surah Maryam, where we have the mention of both Zakaria and the mention of Yahya. Let's look at some more verses. We have in Surah Al-Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about what happens with Maryam and the mother of Maryam and then he goes about وَكَفَّلَهَا زَكَرِيَّمْ Zakariya alayhi salam was entrusted with the care of Maryam. كُلَّمَا دَخَلَ عَلَيْهَا زَكَرِيَّ الْمِحْرَابِ وَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا رِزْقَ Every time whenever Zakariya would enter into the sanctuary of Maryam, he would find that she'd been supplied with provisions already. And he said to her, Ya Maryam, Maryam, where did you get this, these provisions from? She said, This is from Allah. Surely Allah grants provisions to who He wants without any limit. Then and there, Zakariya prayed to his Lord. What did he say? Oh my Lord, grant me by your grace a righteous offspring. You are the one who listens to du'as. The angels called out to him whilst he was standing and praying in the mihrab in the sanctuary that Allah is giving him good news. With what? Bi Yahya. Glad tidings of Yahya. Musaddiqan bi kalimatin min Allah. He will 
confirm the word of Allah, he's going to be a leader and he's going to be just and he's going to be a prophet from amongst the righteous people. So Zakaria said, Oh Allah, how will I have a child? Whilst I have reached extremely old age, and my wife is barren. This is how it's going to be. Allah does as he wishes. He said, Oh Allah, create a sign for me. Your sign is that you will not speak to the people for three days except with gestures. And glorify your Allah abundantly. And glorify Him and remember Him, glorify Him in morning and evening. So those were verses from Surah Al-Imran. Then we go to Surah Al-Anbiya, the Surah of the Prophets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَزَكَرِيَّ إِذْ نَادَى رَبَّهُ رَبِّ لَا تَذَرْنِي فَرْدًا وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الْوَارِثِينَ And Zakariya, when he called out to his Allah, رَبِّ لَا تَذَرْنِي فَرْدًا Oh Allah, do not leave me alone. وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الْوَارِثِينَ And you are the best of inheritors. Many scholars have said anybody who, who's struggling to have a child, this dua of Zakariya is also very effective. رَبِّ لَا تَذَرْنِي فَرْدًا وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الْوَارِثِينَ Oh Allah, don't leave me alone. This is what happens when a, a couple get married and after some time has passed, the honeymoon period is over, you've enjoyed your time together. Then you have the longing. It's a natural thing, have a longing for a child. And when you don't have a child, it does become a little bit lonely. And uh, this is what Zakaria is saying. Rabbi la fardan wa anta khayrul warithin. This is Surah Al-Anbiya, verse number 89. Rabbi la fardan wa anta khayrul warithin. Rabbi la fardan wa anta khayrul warithin. There's no fixed number of how many times to read. You can read it as much as you want. And uh, this is the dua Zakariya made. And Allah immediately after this, Allah says, Fastajabna lahu. We accepted his prayer. Wawahabna lahu. And we granted him Yahya. Look at, look at this. Someone can think, oh, nothing's working. It's not possible. What was possible over here? Zakariya was 95 years old. His wife was about 80 years old or even older. Right? And, and the interesting thing is, um, it, it wasn't just old age. So one, one thing that prevents the birth of a child is old age, right? So that's there. But Zakaria, my wife, he says, even when she was young, she didn't have a monthly cycle. She didn't come on every month. So if you, if you don't experience a monthly cycle, you can't get pregnant anyway. See, it's not as if just old age wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't just old age. That was one barrier. But the other barrier was his wife couldn't conceive anyway. So despite there being two things which are known to be barriers and think it's impossible for Allah, nothing is impossible. And Zakaria, so many lessons we learn from this and one is never to give up. Zakaria didn't give up hope and he still gave it a shot. I'm going to keep going at it, keep going at it. And even at this age, despite there being barriers, remember it, not only was it, was he old, right? Like I said, his wife couldn't have children as the world would consider it. But despite that, he said, don't leave me alone, O Allah. Allah says, we, grant, we answered his prayer. We granted him Yahya. And we cured his wife. 
they were those who used to vie, they used to race in righteous deeds. And they would call out to us in, in, in hope and in all. In all conditions, they turned to Allah. And they were very humble before us. Allah is praising this family. They were a very noble family who always turned to Allah. And then we finally have in Surah Al-An'am, وَزَكَرِيَّا وَيَحْيَا وَعِيسَى وَإِلْيَاسِ كُلُّمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Allah says, Zakariya, Yahya, Isa, Ilyas, all of these prophets were amongst the righteous ones. So these are some verses in which uh, Zakariya and Yahya السلام, are mentioned. Let's take Zakariya السلام, first and then we'll go on to Prophet Yahya. السلام. So firstly, we know that Zakariya, the story we have over here, uh, we, we've all heard of it before, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, rather he's instructing him that tell everybody about this story. Oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I want you to go and tell everybody about the story of Zakariya alayhi salam. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him a child in old age. The Quran is there for us as a guide, for a lesson, for a reminder. It's to, some t it's to answer our problems, our questions, our concerns, the challenges that we face. That's what it's there for. It's not just a story. This isn't just a story. We all face challenges in life. We come across situations where we think it's impossible. It doesn't have to be just to do with having a child. That's just one area. And it's a very serious area and it affects a person, uh, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. There's so many lessons to learn from here. You're not the only one. Even prophets of Allah went through these kind of struggles and difficulties. You know, sometimes you think, well, I'm praying, you know, I'm fasting, I'm doing all my dhikr, uh, you know, I'm staying away from haram, but why is this still happening to me? But these were prophets of Allah. Did they not pray? Okay, they were the most truthful people, the most purest people. They were people of taqwa. So this is why we have these ayat in the Quran and these stories are for all of us to relate to. Now, if we just take them as stories, then it's just that kind of entertainment. We listen from one ear, it goes out of the other ear. And the Quran was never meant to be for that. The Quran was never just a storybook. This is not a storybook. And this is why when the story is mentioned, have you noticed we, like, there's a few verses and then it just cuts off and it goes on to something else. And then we, like I've told you, like this story of Zakaria and Yahya, I've mentioned like three or four different places. And it's not like a complete thing because the purpose of the Quran isn't just to tell a story. It's to tell you that part of the story which means a lot to you and which will benefit you. And anything that wasn't beneficial or wasn't important for you to know, then that's not been mentioned, that's been omitted. We're kind of more interested in the things that have not been mentioned. So we want to know all the details, right? And, and the finer parts, which and th that have not been mentioned. If Allah knew they were of benefit to us, He would have included them in the Quran. These are the parts that we should be focusing on and they are of benefit. Yes, the hadith sometimes brings certain bits of information which we can understand the verses of the Quran better. Uh, but a lot of the information, which is, you know, it, it's not really of any direct benefit to us and we kind of spend most of our time trying to research and understand that kind of information. So this is a, it's a massive lesson for anybody in the, and we face scenarios like this every single day where we're about to lose hope, where we're challenged, we're thinking this is never going to happen, it's not going to work. And we can see how Zakaria was so committed, he did not, he did not lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the way and the manner in which he spoke to Allah. Idnada Rabbahu Nida'an Khafiya. Idnada Rabbahu Nida'an Khafiya. So one is Zakariya alayhi salam and how Allah had mercy upon him uh, at this old age. What did he do? Idnada Rabbahu Nida'an Khafiya. He called unto Allah in a very private manner. And some of the scholars have mentioned that this was in such a manner that he, 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 he called Allah in such a manner that even those who were beside him didn't know what he was saying. Like this is how sincerely and secretly he prayed to Allah. But Allah heard it. Allah heard it and it's in the Quran. I was just telling somebody earlier today that when we deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we don't, Allah is that being with whom we don't have to justify anything. You know, with other people, you have to really justify things. You have to defend yourself. You have to really explain yourself. You have to, you know, try and make them understand. You don't need to ever make Allah understand. Allah knows. Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. When Allah is that being, we don't need to justify. We don't need to give any excuse. We don't have to explain our story and start, oh, I have to start all again from the beginning. You, you, you just don't get it, do you? You know, with people, we like, you're never going to get me. You'll never understand me. With Allah, it's not like that. Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. Therefore, you can speak to Allah loudly. You can speak to him quietly. You don't even have to move your tongue. You can speak to him in your heart and Allah knows. And Allah understands. And Allah is there willing to listen to you. What I find amazing is in Salah, we have every single day in Salah. Um, you know, people feel that they're not, I'm not, people feel like we're not being heard. No one's listening to me. No one wants to listen to what I've got to say. I don't feel heard. When we're in Salah, we're going to Ruku. We say Allahu Akbar. And this, I think this is kind of neglected. We don't focus on this part of Salah. When you stand up from Ruku, what do we say? Sami'allahu liman hamida. What does that mean? Have you ever focused on what that means? Allah heard. Who did he hear? Hamida, meaning the one who praised him. So basically at that time, we are, we are kind of told to say this, that Allah has heard you. Allah is listening to you. You called unto Allah, you went into Ruku and you said, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. And when you stand up, Allah is hearing you. Allah's, you're heard. Nobody else might listen to you. You might feel I'm not heard. But Allah hears you. Allah always hears you. So over here, we find Zakariya he didn't scream or shout. He says, When he called out to his Allah very privately. What does that mean? Like, so this is what I'm trying to explain. Some of the scholars say, he said it so quietly that the people that were with him, if there were people with him at that time, even they didn't hear him. So he's saying it so quietly, so secretly, so sincerely, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. And Allah is responding to him, Labbaik, Labbaik, Labbaik. Rabbi, inni. And what, what did he go on to say? What did he say to Allah? He went on to say to Allah, Inni wahanal azmu minni. Oh Allah, my bones have become weak. My bones have become brittle. Now if you look at how Allah has made us as human beings, right? So on the top we have like skin, right? And then within you've got your kind of muscle and then you've got flesh and then it's the bone so the bone is like the last kind of part of you so before that you've got everything else now what he's trying to say that oh Allah I've reached my extreme limits like my my skin's like 
all wrinkled and old. My muscles have gone weak. I don't have any energy, right? My flesh is giving away as well. And my bones have become brittle. Like I've reached the last part. I, there's no, beyond this, I'm going to die now. That's how far I've reached. So he's presenting his kind of, one is his bones is like your internal physical weakness to Allah. So you think internally, oh Allah, I am so weak. I've, I've, got, I've, I've reached the last straw. That's it. You, what are we? What, if, you, if you look at the human being, like if you don't have your bones, your skeleton, what happens? You're nothing. You take that away, you're nothing. So he, this is his internal weakness. So extreme ex internal weakness. And then he says, Ishti'al means when you've got some pieces of wood and you light fire and the fire spreads. The fire kind of spreads and it lights up all of the wood, the firewood. He says, He's saying, old age has spread across my hair. Across my head. Meaning, I don't have any black hair left. All gone grey, all gone white. Old age. So, internally, I've become extremely weak and old. And even externally, I've become extremely weak and old. So he's presenting his humility to Allah. And he's also presenting the reality that, Oh Allah, this is my state. And this is my weakness. And by saying, and, and then he says something which is very powerful. So you could think, okay, by him saying this, it sounds like he's telling himself he's weak, he's very humble, he doesn't have much, you know, going for him. But at the same time, Look at the hope, the optimism that he has in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what's keeping him going. He says, Walam akun The positive thoughts that he had about Allah are, Oh Allah, you've never let me down. You've never disappointed me. In the past, whenever I've prayed to you, you've always listened to my prayer. You, now think about it. Look how old he is, right? Look how old he is. How many years do you think he's been praying for this child? Right, and it's not happened. And look at his attitude. What he's saying, Allah, you've never disappointed me. We make dua for one or two days, and then we start complaining, it's not happening, it's not working. Okay, we start going here and there and asking everybody else, what shall I do? It's not working, it's not happening. Okay, give me this, give me that, tell me what to do. Give me some advice, how shall I go about this? Okay, he's saying, Walam akun That whenever I've asked you something, he was so, uh, he, he, he had positive thinking in regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he went on to explain that these, these are prophets. So many lessons we can learn. So from the beginning, we've, we've, we've been seeing lesson upon lesson in each part of his dua. Now, why does he want this child so much? Did he just want a child? Like we get married and we want children. We just, it's just one of the, we want kids. Okay, someone says, I want three kids, someone wants five kids, someone says, I want a whole football team. Okay, okay, people want kids. Why do you want kids? What do you want kids for? Why he wanted a child, that's quite amazing as well to understand. And you understand these people understood why they were on planet Earth. What was their purpose? Why were they alive? What did Allah create them for? He says, 
He says that I'm fearing the faith of my relatives. Meaning, a mawali here is referring to like the relatives from his father's side. So his kind of cousins, uh, nephews, they were kind of corrupt. They were on the deen. They weren't as strong as they, he wanted them to be. This, this is what his concern was. His concern was that I'm getting old now. If I go, who's going to take over this responsibility? And the concern was not just for himself. The greater concern was for Masjid Al-Aqsa and Bayt Al-Maqdis because that's where he was an Imam. And his concern was that who's going to take over after me? Who's going to ensure that the Muqaddasat, the holy sites of Islam, remain protected and safeguarded? And this is why he wanted to have a child. If you look at the birth of Maryam, we'll speak about in the next session as well. It was exactly the same thing. These two families are very great noble families. One is the family of Imran and the family of Zakaria and they're related as well. They, they are um, in-laws to each other. Um, but these are two great families Allah speaks about in the Quran. So Zakaria is saying that some of my family members, they're kind of corrupt and I'm worried. If I go, what's going to happen? It's, it, it, it's, it's going to cause chaos and corruption in the environment. So because of this, he says, فَهَبْلِي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ وَلِيَّ Oh Allah, please, grant me through your grace, waliya, a child, a, someone who's going to take over after me. يَرِثُونِي وَيَرِثُ مِنْ آلِ يَعْقُوبِ وَجْعَلْهُ رَبِّ رَضِيَّ And oh Allah, someone who's going to inherit me, meaning in prophethood, and not just me, the family of Yaqub, remember. Yaqub alayhi salam, this is a whole question that's been coming along. You had Yaqub alayhi salam, whose son was Yusuf alayhi salam. And then from him, so many prophets came. So this is a whole legacy. So he's concerned about protecting this legacy and making sure that this legacy of, of the deen of Allah continues. And O oh Allah, وَجْعَلُهُ Rabbi رَضِيَّ O Allah, make him pleasing to you. So this is something we learn as well. Dua we should be making for our children is, Oh Allah, make them pleasing to you. We might want to make them pleasing to us or pleasing to other people. But the main thing is that we want to ensure that they are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they please Allah, then even if other people are not pleased, they will still succeed. But if they're able to please everybody else, okay, by getting X, Y, and Z, but Allah is not pleased with them, then nothing will have been achieved. So, Zakaria is now making this dua. What uh, motivated Zakaria to make this dua was when he saw what happened with Maryam. When he saw that Allah is giving Maryam, again over there, it's the same thing. There was, there was no means. It's something that was thought to be impossible. How can you get food from nowhere? Number one, food from nowhere. Like you have to go and you have to get it. How can it just appear? So that's impossible. No, I don't believe you. How did this? If I say this water just came here, right? You're not going to believe me. Number one. Number two, the food that was coming there wasn't any food. It was fruits out of season, right? And that's impossible. Nowadays, we can understand. It's just because we've got, you know, we've got GM and we've got all of these facilities that we have. 
But in those days, you couldn't get grapes in summertime, for example. It's impossible. You cannot get grapes in summertime. And this was summertime. And in summertime, he was going into her room and there were grapes there. So it's not just that the food was appearing. It was food out of season, which you can't get. It was impossible. No part of the world would produce that kind of fruit, let alone there in Baytul Maqdis. So that inspired him and he thought, hang on, this is something that's impossible. But if Allah can make this possible, well, in my life as well, I've got certain things which I've thought to be impossible. And that is to have a child. Number one, I'm old in age. Number two, my wife is old in age. And number three, she couldn't have children even when she was young. So if Allah can give to Maryam, Allah can give to me as well. Why not? And that's why Quran says, Hunalika da'a Zakariya Rabba. There and then, he didn't even wait. There and then he prayed. And this is the dua he made at that time, in that moment. So Zakaria made this dua. We've gone through the words of the dua. And Zakaria alayhi salam, um, you know, when he says, Yarithuni wa yarithu min ali Yaqub, you know, that he will inherit me. We already spoke about this in detail in the story of Suleiman and Dawood, that the, the, the mirath over here, the inheritance is not of wealth. Okay, the Shia have gone on to say this is talking about wealth. <laughs> they say this even here as well, because they want to prove something else. But the Prophet wasallam very categorically he mentioned, لا نورث ما تركنا فهو we don't, we prophets, we prophets don't inherit. Whatever we leave behind is a sadaqah, it's a charity. And the Prophet was very clear about this. This is why Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu was clearly informed of this saying of the Prophet Thus when the Prophet passed away and his own daughter Fatima Yes, she was the daughter of the Prophet the most beloved daughter of the Prophet when she went and she was asking for the inheritance or for the wealth Sayyidina Abu Bakr he said look this is the hadith of the Prophet you might be the daughter but the Prophet said that wherever the prophets leave behind it's sadaqah they do not inherit therefore None of the daughters received anything. None of the wives received anything. None of his uncles, Abbas received anything from the inheritance of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, and others also, they agreed with this hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is where they start all of the dispute that, you know, these Sahaba, they did this to her. And it's all made up, it's all fabricated. They only did what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would have done. Nothing besides that. And now to kind of give strength there, everywhere where this word appears now, they take it in the meaning of wealth. And we've said clearly, prophets had nothing to do with it. So number one, we find the hadith clearly of the Prophet saying uh, that we don't inherit. Number two, in the hadith of Tirmidhi, there is a hadith that speaks about all of the prophets, not just the Prophet The Prophet we are the group of prophets. We are the family of prophets. We do not inherit. Number three, the world and the worldly possessions and materialism, 
this was like the lowest thing in the sight of the Anbiya alayhi wassalatu wassalam. They weren't concerned about that. That wasn't the worry of Zakariya alayhi salam. That, oh my, who's going to look after my, my business after me, my shop after me, my wealth after me. Oh Allah, please give me a child. Does it even make sense that he's praying in old age? Oh Allah, grant me a child so that when I, I'm about to die, but please give me a child so that, you know, he can look after my estate and, you know, my properties and everything. The Prophet, that, was, that wasn't the concern of the Anbiya alayhim wassalatu wassalam. Number four, we find that Zakaria alayhi salam, he um, was self-employed. He worked. He worked himself. And the hadith mentions that Zakaria alayhi salam, just like Dawul alayhi salam, he went and earned his own livelihood. He didn't rely on the state. Uh, Zakaria alayhi salam also, it says in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Kana Zakaria najjaran. Zakaria alayhi salam was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. And also reported by Imam Muslim, Ibn Majah and others as well. So Zakaria alayhi salam was a carpenter. So like we found, Dawud alayhi salam would work with iron. Zakaria alayhi salam is going and work. I mean, he, he didn't need to be concerned in regards to who's going to take over my wealth after me. Um, so this is the meaning of mirath, inheritance of prophethood. This is what he was referring to. So Zakaria alayhi salam, in old age, he is desirous of having a child. And we find the birth of Maryam. And then Maryam also later on has Prophet Isa alayhi salam. And in the hadith of Al-Isra'i wal-Mi'raj, we find that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam went to the heavens, on the second heaven, he says, who did he meet? He met two prophets. Isa and Yahya, both of them. And they're both related. How, how are they related? So we've got Imran and Hanna, which we'll speak about more next week. You've got Imran and Hanna, okay? Imran and Hanna, Hanna has a child, and that is Maryam. And Maryam has a child, and that is Isa alayhi salam. Okay? Now, Hanna has a sister. Her name is Isha, and her husband is Zakaria alayhi salam. This is the link over here. So, Hanna, the mother of Maryam, and the mother of who? Yahya. The mother of Maryam and the mother of Yahya are sisters. This is the link here. Okay? So, Zakaria alayhi salam's wife, okay, is the sister of the mother of Maryam. Uh, so this is the link over here and they were they were both together in the heavens uh, on the same heaven on the second heaven when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went and met them um, so we have verses in Ali Imran إِذْ قَالَتِ مُلَأَةُ عِمْرَانِ رَبِّ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ مَا فِي بَطْنِي مُحَرَّرًا فَتَقَبَّلْ مِنِّي I think we'll discuss this in uh, when we go um, next week because this speaks about uh, Maryam and Imran and Hanna so we won't go into that now um, however, this does go on to mention in the story of Zakaria alayhi salam. وَكَفَّلَهَا زَكَرِيَّا كُلَّمَا دَخَلَ عَلَيْهَا زَكَرِيَّا الْمِحْرَابِ وَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا رِزْقًا So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala listened to the dua of Zakaria alayhi salam. Now what happened when he, what, how was the accept, what happened next? Allah speaks about it in the Quran. So let's go into this now. In Surah Maryam, Allah tells us about the acceptance of the dua of Zakaria alayhi salam. How did it happen? Ya Zakaria, inna nubashiruka bi ghulam. Ismuhu Yahya, lam naj'allahu min qablu samiyya. So in one place in the Quran, Allah says, the angel said to him, O Zakaria, 
We give you good news of a son. You're going to have a child. Even the name is given as well. His name is going to be, the boy is not born yet. So the angels are telling Zechariah okay, after he's made this dua, after some time he was praying, and the angels are saying to him, Good news, you're going to have a child. His name is going to be Yahya. And before him, we have never named anyone Yahya. In another place, in more detail, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whilst he was standing in the mihrab, he was performing salah. From this we learn, Zakariya would pray a lot. He would often pray. He pray you know, like, look at where Allah spoke about him, his dua, his prayer in the mihrab. And then he goes to Maryam in the mihrab. So we learn from here that these, this, these two families, even about Maryam, from a young age we learn piety, taqwa, turning to Allah, praising Him, making His dhikr in salah, in the mihrab. We find that these families were very, very into their ibadah. Very ibadah-focused families these two were. Very noble, very pious. Zakariya always turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time. And it says that the, the Quran says, malaika." The angels called out to him, Whilst he was standing performing his prayer in the sanctuary, what did they say? That Allah is giving you good news. Be Yahya, that you're going to have Yahya. And then he says, uh, describes how he's going to testify the word from Allah. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be chaste. He's going to be a prophet. And he's going to be amongst the righteous. He's not even born yet and he's got all of these titles. Okay. Now, when Zakariya was given this good news, so imagine Zakariya made this dua when he seen what happened with Maryam. And then later on he's gone off and he's performing salah in the mihrab. Whilst he's in the mihrab, the angels have come to him and told him, you're going to have a child. And this is going to be his name. And this is how he's going to be. Now, Zakariya starts to wonder, okay, I mean, he, didn't, he didn't doubt Allah for a moment because this is what he wanted, right? And when you pray to Allah, this is one of the things. One of the instructions given, if you want your dua to be accepted, you have to pray to Allah whilst you believe in your, you have conviction in your dua. That what I'm gonna, I'm praying to Allah and you have conviction that Allah is gonna give it to me. Allah will listen to me. This is going to happen. If you pray and you're in doubt and you're in two minds, you're not sure, that kind of dua is not accepted. The dua of two types of people are not accepted. One is a person who's not present in the dua. Allahumma anta salam, anta salam, This is how we make, uh, we look. That's, that's, that's not dua. The hadith says Allah does not accept the dua of a person who is absent, who is not focused. What is dua? Dua means when you are asking something of somebody, you're supplicating, you're making a request. Now, if you go to somebody and you're making a request, right? And you're looking around and you're, you're kind of scratching your head or you're playing with your phone. or They're, they're going to think you're not interested. Like, is this a way to ask? Especially when you're in need of something. They're not going to give it to you. We're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's, just, it's either we're not present, okay, so we're just like saying the words, or if we are saying the words and if we are looking down or wherever we're focusing, right, we're not really with, we're not like, we're not with it, we're not with what we're saying, it's, it's, we've just limited it to words. And as long as we carry on 
having this relationship with our religion where it's a very uh, transactional relationship where we're just saying the words because we've been told to say it so I'm saying it okay this is a kind of very um, superficial relationship that we have and we kind of do this with almost everything our salah is like this our fasting is like this our hajj is like this our dua is like this our everything we so what's happening is we're not really getting the taste we're not really getting the essence we're not getting the transformation it's not really doing anything for us yes what it's doing for us okay i i, I should reword that rephrase that yes it's doing a lot it's doing a lot because you're ticking off that you've done your service so in that sense yes you've done your obligation which is which is amazing because at the end of the day that, that is something that's required but that's not that's not what allah wants you to keep it as there's much more that we can take from our religion than just a tick box exercise where oh i, I fasted today Okay, I, I've read Quran today, or I've done my salah today, or I said the dua. Duas are not to be said. Duas are not to be said. Some people will find it strange when I say it like this. Duas are not to be said, are they? We say the duas. Like after we eat, have you said the dua? We were kind of, have you said the dua? Did you say the dua on waking up? Yes, this is the first step. But we kind of, we've lived. 30, 40, 50 years of our life saying du'as, okay? Du'as are not just to be said. A du'a is something to be asked. It's to be requested, to be supplicated to Allah. And for that, you need to be present, to be focused. Because if you want that moment, that du'a to be accepted, and, and there's so many rewards, so many rewards. Just let's take the example of the du'a on wearing clothes, right? When you wear your clothes in the morning and you say, all your sins are forgiven. So the reward is so great. But the dua is accepted from those who are present and focusing the dua. Okay, we're kind of going around, we're saying them, but we need to now move on. That is also a great thing. That's the first step. But we've been on this first step for a long time with so many things we do. Like our fasting is staying away from food and drink from morning to evening. So... Because, because, we, because we see fasting of abstinence from food, then you know when we're not fasting, like before suhoor and after iftar, all we do is eat. And then the day, during the day as well, it's all about food. We've got special foods for Ramadan, haven't we? Yeah. The amount we eat in Ramadan, we don't eat out of Ramadan. The types of food we eat in Ramadan, and if you go uh, in our country here, like kind of it's, I wouldn't say it's too bad, but back home, if we go to our countries, Ramadan is all about food. It's all about food. The streets are all about food. People travel, people go to have iftar, to have suhoor in different places to try and test and taste different types of foods. So we've made our fasting into feasting. I'm not saying don't eat. This is a ni'mah, it's a bounty from Allah. Like the fact that you've been fasting all day, Allah's rewarding you. One scholar said it very beautifully, that this is a reward from Allah. Allah's giving you nice foods because you did something nice for Him. But that's from Allah, right? If it comes to you, it comes to you. But can, can you see what's happening here? In our minds, fasting's all about not eating between dawn till dusk. So then the rest of the time we kind of eat. Whereas the whole idea was to, to eat less not to eat during that period 
and then overall to eat less because that will help you to pray more, to think of the poor more. It will spiritually cleanse you more and you'll just become so much better as an individual. <laughs> we kind of just, do you understand what's happening? And, then, and we can find this in almost everything that we do. So we're very good at the structure. We're very good at finding out what's halal, what's haram, what's permissible, what's not permissible. We're kind of fixated on these kind of things. But when it comes to the actual substance, that's what's missing. And this is what we find over here in the lives of the Anbiya alayhimussalam, where there was a lot of substance there. So, So this is what's said to him. Now, he says, now, oh Allah, you've given me this news, right? That I'm going to have this child. I totally believe you and I know, but I'm just wondering, like, whenever he, he was so excited. When will I, when, when I, when will I know? You've told me it's going to happen, like, but when will I know it's actually happened? Because it's a whole process, isn't it? With Maryam, it was different. It just happened very quickly. The scholars of Quran say that the, the birth of Maryam, uh, the birth of um, Isa salam, sorry, with Maryam, that wasn't like a nine month pregnancy. It all happened very fast. But with over here, Zakaria is like, he's really excited and he's saying, like, oh Allah, I, how's this going to happen? Like, tell me about it more. My, my wife's, like, is it going to happen the normal way? My wife's barren. I've reached really old age. So how are you going to actually make it happen? Um, so, Abashar Tumuni and Ibrahim alayhi salam, if you remember, when we spoke about Ibrahim alayhi salam, um, so he's had Ismail, and then he's with his wife Sarah. And then when the angels were coming to inform him regarding the punishment of Lut alayhi salam and his people, First, they stopped by at the house of Ibrahim salam, and they came and gave some news that your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. And she found it funny. Quran says, she even laughed. The Quran actually mentions her laughter. She slapped her face like, you know, like, what, what, what really? Like, are you joking? Is this even true? Is this even real? Uh, me, such an old woman, I'm going to have a child. Okay, old woman, aqeem and barren, I can't even have children. So at that time, Ibrahim said, You're giving me good news when I'm this old man now. What, what kind of good news is this? Are you, is it really true? Is this really happening? So, and she said, Look at this, my husband's an old man. Okay, he's an old man. How is he going to have a child? Very strange. What kind of message have you bought? And, and the angels, this is what they said. Are you surprised? Are you astonished? In regards to Allah's command, like when Allah wants to do something, This is Allah's mercy, Allah's blessings upon you. So when Allah wants to do something, the, none of these things are a barrier for him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to Zakariah. For Allah, it's easy. Allah created you from nothing. He, you were nothing and Allah created you. So for Allah to create a child in the womb of somebody who's already alive, if Allah created you from nothing, this uh, is so much more easier. It's, it's so possible for Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we accepted his prayer 
and we cured his wife. Meaning, scholars of Tafsir have said many different things. One of the meanings they've given is she started experiencing a monthly cycle. She'd never experienced it in the past, even when she was young. But now in this old age, she started experiencing the menstrual cycle. And Allah speaks about them in a good way. That they would always race to do good deeds and they would always call out to us in every condition. They were very humble. So now Zakaria Oh Allah, give me a sign. When's it happening? When's it happening? Give me a sign. I want to know. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay. And this is a sign to show that his wife has actually conceived. So this is the beginning of the pregnancy. Because that's the first sign, isn't it? When, when you've called, when you know, oh, it's, it, it, you know, the, 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 the wife is now, she's conceived. So this is the, what he wanted to know. When is it going to happen? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The sign to show that your wife has conceived is there's going to be three days where you won't be able to speak to the people despite you being healthy. Meaning you're not going to be ill. You're not going to be unwell. There's going to be no problem with you whatsoever in your physical state. But despite that, despite you being physically well, nothing wrong with your tongue. For three days, you won't be able to speak to the people. This is what the Quran is saying. Uh, and it, that, that's one verse. And in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that you will not be able to speak to the people for three days in La Ramza, only through gestures, sign language. You will only be able to indicate. If, even if you want, he won't be able to speak. So, but he'll be well. Quran says, it's not as if you're ill, it's not as if you're unwell, no disease, no illness, nothing. You'll be perfectly fine. But when it comes to speaking to people, you won't be able to say anything. Uh, and that will be a sign to tell you that your wife has now conceived. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during this time instructed him to engage in the dhikr of Allah in abundance as much as possible. Uh, and uh, and uh, those, now this is, this we learn something else that you don't, one is dhikr with the tongue, but you can also do dhikr with the heart as well. Zakaria couldn't speak at that time, but he's being told to make the dhikr of Allah and glorify him. If you can't do it with the tongue, then you remember Allah with the heart. So Zakaria comes out of the mihrab from his sanctuary. The Quran says, meaning Zakaria is now making gestures to the people and Sabihu Bukratan wa he, he, he couldn't say anything. So he's telling everybody, make dhikr, make dhikr. As much as possible, everybody, people, engage in the dhikr of Allah. And either, there's two ways this could be. Either it could be through gesture, it could be by writing. Okay? It could have been either or. Either or. But ishara is more possible um, because this was been mentioned as Ramza. Now, remember, his tongue, he can, he can speak. Uh, he, 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 there's nothing wrong with his tongue, but he couldn't speak. Uh, and then some of the scholars have mentioned that he could recite meaning the scripture. He could make the dhikr of Allah. But if he would try to speak to somebody, he couldn't speak. Allah knows best exactly how it was. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he gives the good news. And then he addresses Yahya alayhi salam. Ya Yahya khudil kitab bi wa hukma sabiyya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives news that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted Zakaria alayhi salam wisdom even whilst he was a child. 
And we find Abdullah bin Mubarak rahmatullahi mentioning on one occasion that Zakaria son Yahya was passing by and the children were all playing and they called him to play with him and he responded by saying, we've not been created to play. That's not the purpose of our creation. So this is, he, he's mentioned this when he says, when Allah says, that we granted him wisdom from a very young age. But from a very young age, he was given this very special type of wisdom. Uh, a special type of compassion Allah had given. This was Allah's compassion, wasn't it? To Zakaria alayhi salam, as a result of which Yahya alayhi salam was born. So there are many virtues of Zakaria alayhi, sorry, Yahya alayhi salam that have been mentioned over here. Um, I'll speak about them in a moment in more detail. Um, actually, yeah, we'll speak about them now. So what I was saying is Yahya alayhi salam has been mentioned in the Quran in a very unique way. Now, there isn't, like, we don't hear about Yahya that much, right? But in the few verses, very few verses that speak about Yahya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him almost 20 specialities in just a few verses. And we'll, we'll, we'll go through them now. We've mentioned the verses already. The verses are very few. We've already repeated the verses a few times. But within these verses, we can count almost 20 specialities of Yahya alayhi salam. So, one of them, the first one is the way he was born. That his birth was a miracle in itself. So that's number one. The birth being a miracle in itself. Okay, so let, let, let's go through the, through the verses. So we'll take the verse at a time and we'll number them as we go along. So first of all, we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he said he's going to grant Zakaria alayhi salam with Yahya, he says, number one, Musaddiqan bi kalimatim min Allah. He is going to testify the word of Allah. Who do we know is known as the kalimatullah? The word of Allah from amongst the prophets. Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam was known as the word of Allah. Okay. The Quran is saying, Allah is telling Zakaria alayhi salam that we're going to give you Yahya and Yahya is going to be musaddiqan bi kalimatim min Allah. He is going to testify and confirm the word of Allah. From there we learn the first to believe in Isa alayhi salam was Yahya alayhi salam. So this is his first speciality mentioned in the Quran. The first to testify the word of Allah, meaning Isa salam. He testified Isa salam. Number one. Number two. Then the Quran says, Wasayyidan. Wasayyidan. What is he going to be? A Sayyid, meaning a leader. So this is speciality number two. That Yahya is going to be a leader. What kind of a leader? He's going to be a leader where people are going to refer to him. People are going to come back to him. People are going to take counsel of him. So that's number two. Number three, Wahasura. Hasura. Hasur. Hasur meaning Mahsuran Anidunubi wal Maasi. Hasur means protected. He is protected. Protected from sin. Protected from vice. Protected from any kind of evil. So Number one, what's number one? Musaddiqam, to, to confirm the word of Allah. You will confirm the word of Allah. Number two, the leader. Okay, Sayyidah. Number three, Hasura. Wa Hasura meaning 
protected. And then Allah says, Remember, He's not even born yet. He's not even born. And Allah is saying that this child that we're going to give you, he's going to grow up and he's going to be a Nabiya. Wow. Like we hear about prophets granted prophethood, you know, when they reached the age of 40 or something like this. Yahya is not even born. And Allah is telling Zakaria that we're going to make him a prophet. That's number four. And number five, Minas Salihin. So he's already been told, your son is going to be amongst the righteous people. So how many is that? Five. Number six, Allah tells Yahya alayhi salam, Ya Yahya khudil kitaba biquwa. Oh Yahya, hold on to the scriptures firmly. Meaning he was far away from kaslan, meaning laziness. He was firm, he was assertive. He was there, he was present, he was focused. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the munafiqeen in the Quran. When they stand towards the prayer, you know, they don't hold on firmly to it. They're very lazy. They're half-hearted. They're not fully present. So Yahya alayhi salam, Ya Yahya, khudil kitaba biquwa. We don't hear this being mentioned about any other prophet as well. So Ya Yahya, khudil kitaba biquwa. Number six, number seven. The seventh virtue of Yahya alayhi salam in the Quran is Sammahullah. Ismuhu Yahya. Allah named him. Do we hear this about in the Quran about anybody else that Allah named them? Allah says, Ismuhu Yahya. His name is going to be Yahya. Exclusive speciality number seven. Number eight. The eighth privilege of Yahya alayhi salam. Allah says, Lam naj'allahu min qablu samiya. Before Yahya, there's never been a Yahya. He's the first Yahya. Again, a privilege only he has, nobody else has. Number nine, the ninth virtue of Yahya alayhi salam. Allah says, we granted him wisdom in young age. And I just told you about the story of when the children were playing. Okay, and he was a sabi, he was a young child. And he said, we've not been created for play. That was number nine. Number ten. Allah says compassion, compassion. So compassion in two ways. One is he's the, he is the result of Allah's compassion. He's the result of Allah's compassion on Zakaria salam, that Allah out of his compassion granted him Yahya. Or we can say that Yahya salam was an embodiment of compassion. Wherever he went, he spread mercy and compassion in the world. That was number 10. Number 11, Allah said after Hananan, He says, Wazakatan. Wazakatan. I don't think anyone else has been described like this in the Quran. Wazakatan. Okay, Allah says, and he was an embodiment of purity. Purity. Very pure. So pure, Zaka Yahya alayhi salam was so pure that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam praised him that there has been no one from the children of Adam alayhi salam who have not committed a sin or even thought of it except Yahya bin Zakaria. That Yahya bin Zakaria didn't even contemplate or think or even have an idea of committing a sin. This is how far when Allah says, Wazakatan, purity, this purity was given to him in such a way where he did not even imagine, think of committing a sin. And then Allah says on top of this, And he was from the righteous. This is from a young age. A person of taqwa, 
Allah is giving him all of these certificates from a young age. And he was from the righteous. Number 12. Number 13. And this, these were all personal uh, virtues. Now how he was with other people. He was very obedient to his parents. So after Allah comes the right of the parents. Very obedient to his parents. Number 13. Number 14. He wasn't arrogant and he wasn't disobedient. He wasn't arrogant, he wasn't disobedient. Um, so we can even say these are two. He wasn't arrogant and he wasn't disobedient. 14 and 15. Number 16. Allah says, Salamun alayhi Peace be upon him the day he was born. Number 17. Peace be upon him the day he will die. And number 18. And peace be upon him when he will be resurrected from uh, and, and, and risen again and made alive again. And number, what number are we on? 19. 19, like I said to you in the beginning, that he was, his birth was a miracle. And number 20, in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remember I told you where Allah says, وَزَكَرِيَّا وَيَحْيَا وَعِيسَى وَعِلْيَاسِ كُلُّمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that he is from amongst the righteous. I've shown you now 20, and this is just from, there's not, Yahya it's not as if Yahya has been mentioned in like 20 places. He's been mentioned very concisely, just a few verses, but within that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises him with 20 different virtues which we some of them are very unique and special to Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. So this is Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. We've spoken about him in detail. Now let's see what does the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam tell us in regards to uh, Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. Has he mentioned anything regarding Prophet Yahya alayhi salam. We find a hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam tells us, and this has been reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad and also by Imam At-Tirmidhi rahimahullah as well in his Sunan, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam informs us that Yahya alayhi salam was instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with five things. He was, he was told to do five things. Yahya was told by Allah five things that, Oh Yahya, I want you to practice these five things and then go and teach the Bani Israel these five things. Very important message for ulama, for du'at, for preachers that you should be practicing what you are preaching. First bring it into your life and then tell other people about it. So Yahya was given this instruction, these five things. Yahya, I want you to do them and then I want you to go and teach the Bani Israel. So this is a hadith. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Inna Allah azza wa jal, indeed almighty Allah, amara Yahya bin Zakariya alayhim as-salam bi khamsi kalimatin. Allah instructed Yahya, the son of Zakariya alayhi salam with five, five things. An ya'mala bihinna wa an ya'mura Bani Israel an ya'malu bihinna. That he should practice them and then he should instruct the Bani Israel that they should also practice them as well. And what happened was he delayed 
he delayed in instructing the Bani Israel. So he practiced them and he hadn't informed the Bani Israel about it yet. So فَقَالَ لَهُ Isa, Isa السلام, remember he's a prophet, he's related to him. He came to Yahya السلام, and said, قَدْ أُمِرْتَ بِخَمْسِ كَلِمَاتِ You've been instructed with these five things. أَن تَعْمَلَ بِهِنَّ وَتَأْمُرْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ أَن يَعْمَلُوا بِهِنَّ That you should practice them and then get the Bani Israel to practice it. Now, فَإِمَّا أَن تُبَلِّغَهُنَّ وَإِمَّا أَن تُبَلِّغَهُنَّ Either you tell the Bani Israel, I'm going to go ahead and tell them. Well, how come you've not told them about it? You start practicing, but you've not told, you've been told to tell the Bani Israel. You don't do it, I'm going to do it. And these were the prophets of Allah. They wanted to spread the message of Allah to the people. They wanted people to learn and to benefit. So he's telling him, look, you don't do it, I'm going to go and do it. So Yahya alayhi salam says, Ya akhi, oh my brother, inni akhsha, in sabaqtani anu a'adhab, aw yukhsafabi. Please don't go, let me do it, it's my job. I'm worried if you go before me, maybe Allah sends a punishment upon me or the earth might swallow me up. I don't want that to happen. So let, let, leave the duty to me. I'm going to do it right now. So there and then he went. Yahya Bani Israel fi Baytul Maqdis. Yahya goes and he gathered all of the Bani Israel in Baytul Maqdis inside Masjid Al Aqsa. The hadith mentions of the Prophet masjid until the whole masjid became full. Which masjid are we talking about? Masjid Al-Aqsa. Masjid Al-Aqsa is full. And Yahya salam now comes to the front to give a lecture to the people, the Bani Israel. And people were sitting like even on the balconies and everywhere, wherever there was space they could find, there were people were like, it was crowded, it was overcrowded. فَحَمِدَ Allah, So he praised Allah. وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ And glorified him. ثُمَّ قَالْ Then he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ أَمَرَنِي بِخَمْسِ كَلِمَاتٍ Allah has instructed me with five things. And أَعْمَلَ بِهِنَّ That I practice them. وَآمُرَكُمْ أَن تَعْمَلُوا بِهِنَّ And I should instruct you that you should also practice them as well. Now he gives the five things. And it's beautiful the way he... He was a khatib inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So he's giving this khutbah in Masjid Al-Aqsa and he's got a very unique style as well. He didn't just give the information. He gave an example with each one just to make people understand, to make it easy for them. Number one, awwaluhunna, the first one. An ta'budullah la tushriku bihi shay'a. Worship Allah alone, don't associate any partner with him. And he didn't stop there. How can people understand the message better? How can people relate to what I'm saying? How can people accept the message and it becomes easy for them? So what he did, he broke it down and he gave an example, a real life example. He said, Because let me explain this to you. Okay, I don't want to just say to you, this is what Allah told me to tell you, but let me explain it to you now. This is the example of this. Imagine somebody was to go out and from his own money, he goes and buys a slave. Now we don't have slaves, but just, just imagine for a moment, a person goes and buys slaves and he uses either his gold or his silver. Okay, they never used to have fake money that we have nowadays. Real gold coins or real silver coins. So you've spent your money, you've gone and you've bought a slave. Now what happens is the slave starts working. He starts working, he starts earning, he goes out and he earns, he works and he earns money. And that money, okay, he's, the whole idea of buying this slave is so that the slave goes and he works for you. But what the slave does, he earns all the money, okay, and he goes and pays somebody else. He goes and pays somebody else, okay. 
When Allah is the one feeding you, providing you, why is it that when Allah is giving you, but then you're giving it to everybody else? You're doing it for other people. Okay? No, only do it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and only praise Him. Beautiful example, isn't it? So this is how He would explain one thing and then He would explain it in a way people would understand. Number one. Number two. And nowadays, a lot of people, this is what they are complaining about, um, especially the youth. They say, we don't, we can't, you know, we can't connect. We don't understand. The, the khutbah is given in a language that we don't understand. I'm talking about the talk, for example. In a lot of masjids, even now, majority of the people, for example, are English speaking, and the khutbah or the, I'm talking about the speech in itself, uh, is given in uh, a language which most people are not understanding. Only a few of the elder at the front are understanding. Um, so it's important to reach out to the people in a way that they understand and to make it easy for them. So number one, this is what lesson we're learning from Yahya alayhi salam. This is a message for all the du'at, all of the ulama, all of those who are reaching out, even parents, okay? Even parents, people who run organizations, people who are in charge of anything. When you give an instruction, it should be very, very clear. It should be to the level of people, not according to your level, to the level of the people, how they will understand. Um, so even as parents sometimes we have expectation from our children we tell them do this do this and this is why Sayyidina Ali radiallahu who would say that deal with your children according to their time don't deal with your children according to your time not how you were brought up because they've been created for a different period than you that your time has gone we want to do everything the way our parents did with us that was us that time's gone it's finished Allah didn't create your child for that period and this is Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala almost 1400 years ago teaching us these kind of parenting skills that if you, if, you, if you try and do that, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Okay, deal with your children according to their time, according to now. Similarly with the people. When you deal with the people according to their understanding. So this is number one. Number two, salati. The second instruction is given regarding salat. The second instruction is of Salah. And now he gives an example. He says, when you pray Salah, Allah, He is fully attentive towards you. Fully attentive towards you. When you say Allahu Akbar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully attentive towards you. As long as you do not turn your attention away from Allah. When you turn your attention away from Allah, then Allah will turn His attention away from you. So Bani Israel, Falat al-Tafitu. So th this is how he's explained. He didn't just say, Oh people, concentrate in your salah. No. He explained, look, this is why you need to concentrate. We have to explain the why, the reason. We just want to give commands. Hey, clean your room. Okay, do your salah. Okay, wash the dishes. Do this, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. This is how our relationship with is, with a lot of people. Okay, do this and don't do this. That's all they know. We give instructions and we prohibit. Don't do this and do this. But there's never a reason explained of why it's important to do it, to reach out to people. So, if you are focused, 
Allah will keep his focus towards you. And who doesn't want that? Number two. Number three. And I instruct you to fast. Fast. And then he gives an example. The example of fasting, shall I give you? Shall I explain to you what happens? He says, The example of a person that fasts is like a person who has this, this bag. Okay? And in that bag, you've got musk. And you're holding it, you're closing it. Even though it's closed and you're in a group of people, every single person in the whole room, they are enjoying the fragrance of that musk. Is that's the example of a fasting person because then it says because the 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 the, the, the breath of a fasting person is more beloved to Allah than the fragrance of musk so just like you you're in a room for example and everyone's enjoying that scent that you've got there that's how you will be in the sight of Allah Allah will love you so much just like the people are loving the scent that's in your bag because of musk Allah will love you okay because of your fasting. And I instruct you to give charity. And then he gives an example of charity. The example of someone who gives charity is like a person that the enemies have come and they've captured you. They've taken you as a prisoner. Now they take your hands and they tie them to your neck. And they've tied you up. You can't move now. You cannot move. And now your hands are tied to your neck. You can't move your hands. And now they're pushing you from the back. And they're taking you where? Where are they taking you? To the gallows. Okay. They're going to chop your head off now. You're going to be killed. And as you are being pushed ahead, You say to them, you're about to be killed. Okay. Your hands are tied to your neck. And you say to them, is it? Can I pay any kind of ransom? Is there anything I can give to you guys and you'll let me free? And they go, yeah, I mean, we'll accept anything. So at that time, he starts giving, okay, whatever he has, the hadith says, until they actually set him free. So this is what sadaqah does. On the day of judgment, when your hands will be tied, your limbs will be speaking and you're going to be in trouble and you're about to be pushed into Jahannam. Those pennies and those pounds, it doesn't have to be a lot. Qaleel and Kathir. Maybe sometimes you give more, sometimes you give less. That little that you give in your life and also in the hereafter, it will save you from such drastic moments where you need, you need the help of Allah. That is what Sadaqah does for you. And this is what he explained to the people inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. And he's saying the last thing he says, number five. Remember there were five things. What's the first one? Iman and not to do shirk. Number two, salah. Number three, sawm. Number four, sadaqah. And number five, And he says, I instruct you to always make the dhikr of Allah kathiran, kathiran, abundantly, as much as possible. He says the example of a person who makes the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is someone who is chased by an enemy. So the enemy has set out a warrant to capture you. So you're running away. You're running, you're running, you're running until you come to a castle. You come to a fort. You come to a place which is fortified. Okay? Uh, you know, you have the dua book called Hisnul Muslim. The fortress of a Muslim is called. You, this is the word, Hisn. You come to a fortress. 
you come to a place which is fortified. So you go inside, you lock the door, and there's soldiers, there's guards, there's chains, there's gates, and you are now in a secure area. You take security in them. The Prophet says, the, the most secure and fortified a person can be from the shaitan is when a person is engaged in the dhikr of Allah. So just think of that example of a person being chased by the enemy. Okay, they're chasing you. And then you go into this castle, into this fort, and the gates just come down. You are safe. You've got nothing to worry about. So when it's time to do dhikr, this is what we should think about. Remember the fort, remember being chased. Shaitan is after me. If I want to be safe from the shaitan, I need to be engaged in dhikr. Just like the fortress, my fortress in this world is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is where the speech of Yahya alayhi salam ends. But who's telling us this story? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he carries on now from here. قَالَ فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet said, Let me tell you five things as well. My brother Yahya told five, let me tell you five things as well. Uh, but he doesn't give an example, he just keeps it simple. أَمَرَنِي بِهِنَّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told me about these five things I'm telling you. Number one, al-jama'ah. Stick with the group, stick with the majority. Don't kind of go and do your own thing. Okay, don't be a loner. Okay, number one. As-sam'i. Listen to the advice given from the leadership, from the scholars, from those who have been given authority. Don't come up with your own thing and don't go against the advice that's given from the mainstream. Number three, obedience. Obey the authority. Whatever is given to you by the, by, by, by the scholarship, by those who've been given authority by the Quran and the Sunnah, you must obey them. Migration. When the time comes, if there is a need to migrate, then you must migrate. And wal jihadi fi sabirillah. And if the time comes and it requires you to make a struggle for the cause of Allah, then you should go ahead with this. Now he gives an example. He says, Man So he said, stay with the jama'ah, stay with the mainstream. Don't go on isolated opinions. Because whoever even moves one hand span away from the mainstream, from the group, he has taken off the the uh, the from from his neck he has taken off the 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 collar of Islam basically you have taken off the collar of Islam from your neck so don't like be a loner don't go and you do your own thing stick with the jama'ah Except that obviously if you choose to come back, then you're back inside. Otherwise, it's like you've taken Islam away from you. Because this is a collective religion. It's a societal religion. It's not something that people just do individually. And whoever calls out the calls of jahiliyyah, the calls of ignorance, they will be from the people of Jahannam. And this is like they had a lot of racism, for example. Um, they used to be, you know, looking down on certain people and uh, looking down on women, for example. And a, a lot of this kind of asabiya, uh, there was a lot of uh, pride uh, because of which clan they were from. So these are all da'wal jahiliya. These are all calls of ignorance. 
uh, racism, for example, to think that because someone's got white skin, they're better than someone with white skin, uh, black skin, or someone who's an Arab is better than a non-Arab. Or, for example, to believe that because I'm from the Quraysh, we are better than the people who are from another tribe. These are all da'wal jahiliyyah. The Prophet it was very, very, very firm. Anybody who goes around chanting these things, believing in these things, promoting these things, they are the filth of the fire of hell. This is serious. Okay, we still have this kind of stuff amongst our people as well. And this is a very serious warning from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So these are not the people of Jannah. You can pray, you can fast, you can do as much as you want. And this is what the hadith, uh, this is not me. Okay, I, I've gone ahead. Look at what the hadith is. Qalu ya Rasulullah, wa in sama wa in salla. Sahaba said, O Prophet of Allah, that's quite strict, that's quite serious. You're calling them the people of Jahannam who say these jahili things. What if they pray five times a day and they fast in the month of Ramadan? The Prophet ﷺ said, Wa in Salah, Wa in Salah Even if they pray, they can pray as much as they want. They can fast as much as they want. But these things in the sight of Allah are very serious. You can never ever claim to be better than somebody else because of your skin color, because of your lineage, because of your ethnicity, because of just the way you do things. That doesn't make you better in the sight of Allah. And Allah takes this very seriously. Islam takes this very seriously. We might not speak about it as much, but this is something very serious. So much so, the Prophet wasallam, They can pray, they can fast, but that's not going to save you. He can claim all his life or her life that they are a Muslim. Therefore, Fadul Muslimina bi Asma'ihim. Very important message. Call Muslims by the name Allah has called them. Call Muslims by the name Allah has called them. And that is Al Muslimin and Al Mu'mineen. That's it. Look at people like this. This is a Muslim. This is a Mu'min. Not this person is black. This person is white. This person is Arab. This person is non. Those things don't matter. These are only there so that there can be a difference, so that we can recognize each other. If imagine everyone looked the same. Okay, it'd be such a boring world. This is a variation Allah has created. So this is this is gives us much more enjoyment in the world. There's a difference. This is why Allah has created little Quran says for recognition purposes. Everything, everyone was the same, that'd be very, very boring. These people who go around with these jahili claims, this is what they kind of want. Either they want everyone to be the same, or either they just want everyone else to kind of perish and just they exist. And this is why this is so dangerous. It's arrogance, there's nothing else. And the, the thing is, Allah didn't give any uh, credit to this anywhere in the Quran. No credit has been given. This is a self-acclaimed credit that we sometimes give to ourselves and think that oh, if you if you have this skin color, if you're from this country, or if you this, eat this type of food, you are better. These are very superficial things. At the end of the day, Allah says in the Quran and the Hadith says very clearly, Allah doesn't even look at your faces. Allah doesn't even look at your faces. Allah doesn't look at your riches. He looks at your heart. And when it comes to the heart, everyone's heart is the same. Everyone's heart is the same. It doesn't matter who you are. So, 
call people by their names which are referred to them look at them look at this person not by their skin color not by their ethnicity not by which family they are from or they're from a higher class or low class look at them they are muslimin mu'mineen this is what matters to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what a beautiful hadith and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ends it with this now i'm going to end by mentioning the demise of zakaria and yahya alayhi salam and we'll end our session on that now how did they pass away? The mention of the death of Zakaria and Yahya. Now, um, there is nothing authentically mentioned regarding the demise of Zakaria and Yahya. Nothing very clear. There's no Sahih authentic narration. The Quran doesn't speak about it. There is an indication in the Quran, um, but it's not, nothing's clear. What we do have is a lot of Israeliyat, um, which are from, of course, biblical sources. And like we've been discussing, if it doesn't go against the Quran and the Hadith, we can take them. So let, I'll share with you what's been mentioned. So one narrative, which we find many Israeliyat, not the Hadith, Israeliyat mentioned, that both of them were killed. And this was commonly mentioned. Zakaria was killed and Yahya was also killed as well. The story of Zakaria being killed, again, this is from the Israeliyat, not from the Hadith. Okay, so you don't have to accept this. We don't reject it outright, but we don't have to say this is the actual verdict. No, because nothing clear has been mentioned. What the Israeliyat mentioned, and then some of our books of Tafsir have included this as well, where they were trying to assassinate Zakaria Zakaria runs away from the people and then he goes and hides behind the tree okay which again can be questionable regarding a prophet and then what happens is shaitan showed the people where Zakaria was hiding because his cloak was kind of sticking out from the tree uh, you can see the story it, it doesn't go it doesn't align with the Quran and the hadith does it just the details the Quran and hadith doesn't go into these minute details about things which are not kind of relevant I'm just sharing with you what's been mentioned so his cloak was kind of sticking out shaitan indicated that oh look he's hiding over there and then they came and they got a saw and they started cutting the tree in half okay and Zakaria is hiding behind this tree um, so Quran does tell us that they killed prophets not once on many 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 occasions Quran speaks about the killing of prophets so we can't deny that the killing of prophets did happen was Zakaria killed by them possibly may have happened may not have happened okay so both are possible so this is one narrative that he was killed and then the narration goes on further where they were um, like about to kill him and when the sword reached his head Zakaria started to scream and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him don't scream calm down because if you carry on screaming then the whole earth is going to scream as well this is where it gets a little bit like you know okay you know so um, we'll leave it to that so this is what's been mentioned that then he he became silent and they cut his body in half and there are narrations that mention that prophets were treated in this way was Zakaria one of them or not we don't know this is the this is the answer we don't know if this happened or not 
number one. So that is the first thing. And regarding Yahya alayhi salam also, we hear a similar thing happened. Now, there is the only kind of narration which is kind of, you would say, has the most authentic narration in regards to the demise of either of these is one regarding Yahya alayhi salam. And they say that in Musannaf ibn Abi Shayba, there is a narration that mentions that um, there was a king of Damascus who wanted to marry somebody. And the girl he wanted to marry was kind of a relative of his. So they asked Yahya alayhi salam that, can I marry this woman? And Yahya alayhi salam gave a fatwa and said, no, it's haram. So they, they weren't happy with the idea. They didn't like the answer that he gave. So then she said basically to the king that I will only marry you if you bring me the head of Zakaria and his blood. So in love for this girl, the king then goes and they killed Zakaria, Yahya alayhi salam, severed his body. And she had a specific demand that I want you to bring his head on a tray. So bring his head on a tray. And they say, Allahu Alam, Allah knows best. This has been mentioned that the head of Zihya was then taken and presented on a tray. And also there are narrations that mention that the blood which, uh, which came out from Yahya alayhi salam, that kind of was, was, it was like the blood was boiling, it was erupting. And even when the Bukhti uh, Nasr, the Babylonian king, Nabuchad Nazar, when he came to Baytul Maqdis, even he noticed this blood and he killed 70,000 people in that same area. And it's only when one of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Aramiya alayhi salam, went past and he noticed and he prayed to Allah, that is when the blood kind of settled. It's a, it's a huge thing. Martyring and killing a prophet is not something small. Um, so these are some of the narrations that have been mentioned. Um, regarding um, Yahya alayhi salam also, um, there is a narration, there are two now. Now those who say that Yahya alayhi salam was killed, some say that he was killed inside Masjid al-Aqsa on the rock that's beneath the dome of the rock. He was killed on there. And others said, no, the killing actually happened in Damascus. And the narration that mentioned Damascus are then further corroborated by the story of uh, Nabuchad Nazar and Mufti Nasr where the killing of the, you know, the Babylonian king who took so many of the Bani Israel into captivity and he killed so many of them. Um, so these are two things. So first of all, both of them were killed. Second narration, only Yahya was killed. And the third is, um, we don't know. And regarding Yahya if we focus on the last verses which we spoke about, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, peace be upon him the day he was born, the day he will die. Quran is saying, Okay, the picture these, these Israeliyat are painting, it's like Quran speaks about Yahya in such a beautiful way. So many virtues, so many privileges, such a beautiful, pure life. And then they kind of want to end it off in a really not so good way. Whereas Quran has ended it by saying, Salamun alayhi yawma wulida. Salamun alayhi yawma yawma. The day he dies, salam upon him. And, and, and another interesting thing that's been mentioned about this uh, part is Isa alayhi salam once came to Yahya alayhi salam and said, oh, no, you're better than me. 
And he said, no, 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 you're better than me. And they're having this argument. You're better than me, right? So who's better than who? And then Yahya salam was told by Isa salam, I really think you're better than me. And then he said, look, in the Quran, we find when Allah said salam, uh, salamu alayya. He says, well, in the Quran, we find, I gave salam upon myself. Yeah, Isa salam, salamu alayya yawma, uh, yawma. Salam be upon me the day I was born, the day I will die, and the day I will be resurrected. But when it came to you, Yahya, Allah sent salam upon you. Allah says, May the salam be upon him the day he was born, the day he will die, and the day he will be resurrected. Now, finally, I'm going to mention about this verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us these three moments are the three most difficult moments in your existence. Not just so when you come from one place to another. Birth, death, resurrection. Three very difficult moments. Yeah, we know what happens at birth. It's crazy because we come from one world to the other. And that's why every baby cries. Nobody wants to leave because they're so comfortable in the womb. And when the baby comes into the world, Okay, it screams, it cries. And Allah is saying, Salam. When he came to Yahya, peace be upon him. That moment wasn't a challenging moment for him. The second moment is again our next transition. When we go from this world to the hereafter, everyone's petrified. But when it comes to Yahya, السلام, Allah says, The day he goes from this world, that transition is going to be very peaceful. And the third one is, when we're going to be in our graves and the horn will be blowed and we will be resurrected again into the third place. Okay, so from the womb into the world and then from the world into Barzakh. Okay, and from Barzakh into the hereafter, that's going to be a third challenging moment. And Allah says, don't worry, Yahya, I've taken care of all three of them. When he will be resurrected, Salam upon him on that day as well. With this, we end, inshallah. Next week, we won't be having any lesson. Inshallah, we hope to be in Masjid Al Aqsa. Make dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, takes us safely, uh, easily. With afiyah, we're able to go uh, and benefit from the blessings of Masjid Al Aqsa and also return safely as well. And inshallah, the week after, we will continue. We'll have three sessions on the life of Isa alayhi salam. And with that, we'll come to the end of this particular series. Uh, uh, I think it'll have been a full year. And then uh, maybe it will decide what we're going to do. Will we continue before Ramadan, in Ramadan, or maybe after Ramadan? We'll, we're going to be starting the series on the life of the Prophet Because we've talked about all the Prophets from Adam till Isa Then inshallah, we hope to spend a whole year uh, just like this, inshallah, every week we'll be speaking about a different part and we'll go through the whole life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq and inspire us. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.